For one last time, I promise I will not ask you to turn to Luke 15 for a long time. Turn to Luke 15. Your seventh Sunday in a row, I've made you turn to this same chapter. If you're sick of the prodigal son, this is the last of the prodigal son. I'll be honest, I mourn at the end of every series. Every series, I had this like little mourning process because I build so much up to, to preach it and pour a lot into it. And I mourn at the same time, I'm getting excited about the next series. Uh, so next week, we've got some uh, friends, uh, missionary friends are gonna come and they're gonna share on Sunday morning. Um, I'm gonna be in St. Ignace, Michigan preaching. Um, I'm, sp I'm supposed to go speak to their board and to their leadership on the afternoon. And the pastor called me up last week. He goes, remember how I said I really wanted to preach? He goes, I don't wanna preach, you preach. I'm like, all right, so um, I'm pumped to preach next uh, Sunday. And then we start a new series in the month of September. Every September we do a character series where we focus on one character in Scripture. And this year we're going to choose, we chose the character of David, who is the, my favorite, outside of Jesus, okay, is my favorite person in all of the Bible. I, the best name, best everything except for Jesus, for all of you people writing me notes right now. Um, but we're only going to preach David from his um, anointing all the way to his, when he starts the kingship. And then next fall, we're going to preach the kingship of, of David and finish it out. So I'm very, very stoked about that. Uh, Luke 15 has just been a very transformative work in my heart over these past seven weeks. I hope the Spirit of God has touched your heart as we, we spent two weeks preaching on repentance. We spent a week talking about self-righteousness. We have been, um, honestly, I, it's been one of those series I thought would be way more encouraging. I felt like it's been more like a hammer on an anvil working in my life and helping to refine us as a body, as a believers, and to be stronger in our own faith. And I've just been excited to hear just numbers of testimonies on how God has opened your eyes to the story of the prodigal sons, how God has challenged your heart, how God has kind of led you in certain ways toward evangelism and sharing love and grace to people. It's been, it's just been incredible. And what is cool is we really have not had one single Sunday for which, uh, for which we did not have at least one person give their heart to Jesus every single Sunday during this series. That is something to celebrate. And that right there was my litmus test because the title of today's message is A Culture of Celebration. Because if you didn't clap there, we're going to have a different talk. It's going to go to the other sermon for today. I, do you have somebody to celebrate with? Do you, I have one. Vicky has one. Nobody else has any. And that makes me sad. Uh, thank you. We've got a couple. You're holding hands. That's good. I celebrate with this person. Um, I'm, not, I'm not talking about like Christmas and Thanksgiving or my birthday. I'm talking about other things that you should be celebrating, like the everydayness of life. Um, so think to yourself, who do I celebrate with? Or if you've got something to celebrate, think about that person that you're going to call right now. Think about them. Now tell the person next to you who that is. Go ahead. It's okay to talk in church. Tell the person who that is. You extroverts hate my guts right now. I'm oh, sorry, introverts, you hate my guts. All right. Now do, the, do me a favor. I made you do this last week. Turn around and tell the person behind you who that person was. Who do you celebrate with? Uh, my friend Joe, my wife, my husband. I celebrate by myself. We all need somebody to celebrate. And can I tell you, there is a weird group of people that I know that struggle with celebrating. They are a weird, weird bunch. You're like, Pastor, you're being a little bit harsh. No, I'm not. I'm being realistic. They're called pastors. 
They are the worst at knowing. Now, I'm, I'll say, we can celebrate up here on the platform because we love getting the congregation to clap and it's, all, it's fun to clap and to celebrate. But we are the worst when it comes to celebrating with each other. Why? Because pastors, they, can, they, they are a weird breed. And there's lots of divas. And therefore, we compare. We compete with one another. And so therefore, sometimes it can be lonely in ministry where you're like, I just need another pastor to celebrate. And some of you already write me a little notes. Pastor, you can always celebrate with me. Sometimes I just want another pastor to celebrate with. And so on my phone, I'll tell you, I'll even show you. On my phone, I'm in message app, like the top little saved people. This is my family up here. But down here is Aaron, Shane, and Thomas. Pastor Aaron, Pastor Shane, Pastor Thomas. If, like tomorrow morning, I'm going to text them and tell them about baptisms. I'm going to text them and tell them about tacos in that order. I will not mix up the order, but I will tell them about both. And they're going to say, awesome. Sometimes I don't know what to tell them. and I just need to celebrate something simple. But you just need those people in your life that will celebrate the simple things instead of just the monumental stuff. Because the problem is if we only celebrate the monumental, then we actually never enjoy life. Now I'm going to embarrass her a little bit, but my wife has taught me the art of celebration. And I apologize because I did not ask for permission. I always ask for permission for sermon illustrations. I did not today, but we're eating tacos and we're in church, so she's got to forgive. <laughs> now, my wife, and this may shock you, I, I like football. Shocking. I know. My wife hates football. Proof that chemistry doesn't make marriage work, work makes marriage work. Sermon right there. But my wife can tell if my team is winning or losing by just looking through the bedroom door and she'll see me in the living room pacing, throwing things, yelling things, shouting things, talking things. I've been on the ottoman dancing. I've gone to all sorts of manifestations or at halftime when I have to change my hat because if I change my hat, I may help my team. And you may look at me weird, but it's only weird if it doesn't work. I've turned my jersey around, changed my shirt. I do all of those things. You're judging me, but you know people who do that too. And then after, because it's the fall, it's the perfect time to go for a walk. And so we'll go for a walk. And she says the same thing to me. How did your team do? She already knows the answer, but what it does for me, it is like five to 10 minutes of unending stats and situation for which she does not care one lick about. I'm talking about this. Man, they, this freshman started, and they were fourth and ten. They were fourth and goal, and we stopped them. We did this, and, and, and she just doesn't really care. She doesn't give a rep. You know what she cares about? Me. And she lets me rant for ten minutes for stuff that she just that doesn't matter whatsoever. But you know what that, that means to me? She's celebrating with me. And I think there's something that we're missing in the church is the art of celebration. Because as much as we look for someone to celebrate, I bet you that if I ask the question, do you know people in your life that you can't celebrate around? All of us would have lists of people. In fact, I had a minister tell me one time, flat out to me, said to me, Dave, I, just don't tell me what, what, what good is going on in your life because I can't take it. I'm like, why? Because if you are blessed with something, then I'm going to ask God, why wasn't I blessed with that? 
Ladies and gentlemen, can we get our eyes off of what other people are blessed with and take a look at what God has truly done in our life? And perhaps we'll enjoy the blessings more if we looked at the bluster and we looked at what he's done rather than what he's doing in somebody else's life. We've said it, we've said it for years. Comparison is the thief of joy and we are competing with one another instead of celebrating one another. What if, what if we looked and we learned to celebrate everything that God has truly done, the little things and the big things? One of my favorite books, that I've read that I would encourage anybody to read. It's by Richard Foster called The Spiritual Disciplines. And he talks about the different spiritual disciplines from reading the Bible to meditative prayer, quiet prayer, silence before God. There's just so many different spiritual disciplines to grow your life. And this is what he says. He says, celebration is central to all spiritual disciplines. Without a joyful spirit of festivity, the disciplines become dull, death-breathing tools in the hands of modern Pharisees. That is a sobering statement right there. Even like the spiritual discipline of reading the scripture, without the spirit of celebration, that's when you start calling people, telling them, you, should, you shouldn't be so happy, the Antichrist is coming. And then you gotta answer back, well, you should be happy because Jesus is coming. Well, you shouldn't be so happy because I know you got a bonus, but you've got to take taxes out of that. Who are these joy suckers that are out there? When it comes to the church, the church, nobody should out cheer and celebrate like church people. We should be the most celebratory people in the world. We should be that type of people with that type of ethos. And when you read, I forgot my Bible in my office, so I got my phone here. So when you read Luke chapter 15, you're going to see some amazing celebration. In fact, if you look through the chapter, because we've been reading about the prodigal son for seven weeks. The prodigal son is found in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 has, if you remember, how many parables? Three. In all three parables, you're going to find two commonalities that are so beautiful. You're going to find the commonality that there's something lost and there's something to be celebrated. All three. So look at this. Again, we see Jesus, verse 1, sitting with tax collectors. He is sitting with sinners. He's sitting with people that the religious hierarchy doesn't like, don't approve of. They disgust them. And he's like, you should have nothing to do with them. So Jesus begins to give them three different parables. And in each one of these parables, he gives something that's lost. For example, if you look in uh, verses, uh, starting at verse 3, you see the parable of the lost sheep. Love the parable of the lost sheep. The guy has 99 sheep and one goes astray because that's what happens with sheep sometimes. And instead of writing off the loss, what he does is he goes and he searches. He leaves the 99 and he searches for the one. Goes after the lost sheep. Then we get to the middle portion of the chapter and then we begin to read about, I think it's around verse six, verse eight, that there's a woman who has 10 coins. And as she has 10 coins, she loses a coin and that coin gets lost somewhere on the floor. And now you have to understand something that when you think of floors in that day and floors in our day, they're two different things. I remember being in Israel and we were looking inside an ancient home. Only the walls were left and he had us look at the floors and he began to talk about Luke 15. And he said this, he says, when we drop a coin on the, on the floor, we look around, we move a rug, we move a lamp, we move a, a, a side table to find. But in this culture, you had cracks in the floor. It was dirty because it was made of dirt. There was no carpeting. There was no linoleum. There's no ceramic tile. So she literally lost the coin that was very valuable to her. And she began to sweep and to move everything to find the lost coin. 
Now, this is what's kind of cool. Is when you're reading the parables, you got a sheep that's gone, and so what do they do when it's lost? Someone goes and finds it. They lose a coin. What do they do? Somebody goes and finds it. But then we get to the parable of the, of the lost sons, and we have a younger son who has squandered his inheritance. He is lost. And you know what the difference is between that parable and the other two parables? Nobody looks for the lost son. In fact, that ancient culture, as they're listening, they would have said, well, somebody's going to go look for this boy, right? He's lost. Somebody went and looked for the sheep. Someone went and looked for the coin. Somebody needs to go look for the lost. And do you want to know who had the responsibility for actually going and finding the lost boy? Do you want to know who it is? It's not the father. It's actually the eldest child. And so they would have sat on the edge of their seat waiting. When is the eldest child going to go and search and find the, the younger one? When is he going to go? And what we begin to read when we get to the end of the chapter, there is reasons why that he doesn't want to go. He doesn't think much of his brother. In fact, he's disassociated himself so much that he won't even acknowledge that, that boy as his brother. And he looks at his dad and said, that son of yours. And he disregards it. Why? He's lost. He's dead to himself. He's dead to the family. And he's dead to the community. And he is worthless. But I'm so glad that God doesn't call what the world says worthless. God says they're of worth. I'm so glad that when sin made made me worthless, that God saw worth in my life. And the responsibility of the elder, I wish I had my Bible. I'd look like a better preacher right now. If, if you look at Luke 15 and you look at the response of the older brother, you begin to see that which you shouldn't do, but that's what he should have done. Because the elder brother should have gone to find the younger brother. He should have looked at his father and simply said this. Culturally, to this ancient culture, you know what? I'm going to go find him. I'm going to go look for him. And if he has squandered the inheritance then I'm going to use my own expenses to bring him back into the family at my expense. Because we see this in verses 12 and verse 31, that everything the father had, he gave to the two brothers. One third of it went to the younger, two thirds went to the older brother. So everything belonged to the older brother. And all he had to do was say, I'm gonna go and do what needs to be done. Somebody needs to look for the lost and the lonely, the lost and the broken, and bring him back in. And he, he went absent. This is what's the challenge of the prodigal son, is if we see that which is lost, are we wondering, will somebody else go, or are we ourselves saying, send us, I'll go. This is the challenge of looking at the world and wondering, man, I wish God would send somebody to my workplace. Ladies and gentlemen, he did, he sent you. I wish God would send somebody to my school. I wish God would send somebody to my neighborhood. I wish God would send somebody somebody to my community. Ladies and gentlemen, he sent you. And it's your opportunity to be the love of Jesus wherever God has placed you. You're that elder brother ready to go and to be the person that they need. And yet... It doesn't happen, but we still see the younger brother come back. But he comes back. Remember the story we shared? He comes back, and he's got this plan. I'm just going to go, and I'm going to make restitution. I'm going to go become a hired servant. I'm going to go work my way and perhaps get back into the family. And the father welcomes in, puts a ring on his finger for identity, covers him with his own robes that give him value. He gives him shoes on his feet to separate him from any other, any other servant. He, begin, he kills the fatted calf to welcome the community, to put him back into the community. And we look at this beautiful situation, and we say, wow, what a free gift that he's been given. 
But ladies and gentlemen, we will always preach that salvation is a free gift from God. In other words, you do not have to buy it or you don't have to earn it. But at the same time, I have to tell you this, that when we call salvation free, that's really an oversimplification of what it really is because salvation is actually is not free whatsoever. Because it's a free gift to all of us, but freedom comes at a cost. Grace is given to all of us, but grace comes with a cost. For example, uh, we are setting up for a wedding in our home. We're getting ready for my daughter's wedding next month. It's like uh, five weeks away. Um, and we were so pumped about it. And in our kitchen, we've got these little vases with these plant life things coming out. I don't even know what they're called, but they're decorations. We have plant life coming out of them. That's all I'll call them. So if you came to visit and hang out with us and maybe you're sitting around playing euchre, uh, which is not a violent sport, but sometimes it can be. And I love euchre. And maybe you got mad and you kicked over one of the vases and broke one of our vases. Um, I have two choices. I can either accept your apology and make you pay for it. Or... I can accept your apology, forgive, pay to have it fixed or replaced or whatever and do that all myself. You know, and that's the difference between what the prodigal son thought he had to do was ask for forgiveness and work his way, earn his way or the opposite. And okay, maybe that's a little bit too simple. How about this? Somebody has ruined your reputation. Somebody has stated something on Facebook or to people that you know and they have ruined your reputation. Just like the angry person in the back right there. <laughs> and you can either forgive and move forward or you can do the opposite. You can make them pay. Well, how would you make somebody pay? You can pay them back by ruining their reputation. You can strike back with the venom of bitterness. You can begin to spout things about them on social media. You can try to prove your point that if they hurt me, I can do this right back. They did this to me, I'm gonna do this right back and then some. We can go that route or we can do the more difficult task of forgiving the individual and setting the record straight by living out our life, by living out grace and mercy without vilifying the person who hurt us. I want you to see there's a difference that scripture is trying to tell us. The prodigal son is a story of the lost son. We have two lost sons for which one comes back and he is offered absolute love, absolute mercy, absolute forgiveness. But when it comes to forgiveness, it's free and unconditional to the perpetrator, but it is costly to the grantor. It is free that we give out. But how do you know, how, how many of you know this? That when somebody has hurt you, that you can hurt them right back. That you can make them pay the price. You can make them pay the emotional price or the mental price or the physical price. Or you can extend that which Jesus forgave and extended unto us. Because I'm telling you what, Jesus has never asked me to repay that which I know I can never repay. He's never asked me to do what I know that I in and of myself cannot do. But forgiveness, when we look at what we have been given, yes, it's free. In other words, it's unmerited. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to pay for it. You don't have to tithe for it. But you have to know something, that your forgiveness came at a great cost, and the cost was the Son of God. You cannot look at the cross and think to yourself, forgiveness is free. And some of us make the mistake by looking at the prodigal son and thinking he was lost and the forgiveness was free. It wasn't. It came at a cost. 
rings and robes and fatted calf and reputation of coming back in. And what are people in the community going to say with this boy coming back into the family? The father didn't care about that. You know what he cared about? I had something that was lost and now he is found. And that brings us to the second and I think one of the most important points of the whole story. It's time the church becomes a culture of celebration. As I said before, that nobody should celebrate more, nobody should celebrate better than the children of God. Nobody should celebrate more. Nobody should celebrate better. Nobody should celebrate more often than people who follow Jesus Christ. My dad, my dad used to challenge the church. I grew up on my dad's preaching, and he would say, some of you look like you walk into church sucking on lemons. That was always his go-to on Sunday mornings. Why, I do not know, but how many of us, how many of us we walk into the church that we see a lot of hung heads and down faces, and, and listen, that happens because we have those moments, but how many of you know when we come together, our goal isn't to get together to mourn what has happened during the week. Our goal is to get together to lift up our heads and to see Jesus for who he is and begin to call faith into our lives, begin to let joy consume us, let his peace come inside of us, let his strength begin to fill us so that we don't have to face life like we've always faced life. The Bible says over and over, lift up your heads. Lift up your heads. Listen, we are an assemblies of God's church, which by nature we're charismatic. Doesn't mean that we're weird over sometimes. Sometimes some of you can be weird. But it means that we just don't deal with life and we don't deal with church the same way that maybe other denominations do. We like to clap. We like to shout. We like to smile. We like to dance. That means sometimes during worship, people will come up front and kneel down, lay down, cry before the Lord. It doesn't matter. What matters is we are here to celebrate his goodness. And we as the body need to be a people who learn to celebrate. That's the thrust of, of Luke 15. It's celebration. Hey, I lost the sheep. It's time to celebrate. How do we celebrate? Kill the one that left and we'll eat lamb chops. I don't know if that's what happens. We lost the coin. Well, it doesn't seem like she lost much. Maybe she didn't lose much compared to maybe what you have or what you possess. But when somebody loses something and they find it, she wanted to find somebody. She went to her neighbors and told them, I found my coin. We've lost the art of celebration. And if we only celebrate endings, we will never truly enjoy moments. <sighs> I'm sorry, I'm getting a little teary. I, I wasn't going to share this today, but I feel like I need to. It was one of my biggest celebrations in a long time. Can I share a celebration this morning? Good, I'll talk to this side. <laughs> For a year at the climbing gym, I connect to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people. I have awkward dad moments because I, I do dad jokes and that's just who I am. And for a year, there is a, a person at the climbing gym. Whew, so good. For a year, person kept me at arm's length. You see, she's an atheist and she hates my religion and she doesn't believe in my God. And for a year, just has kept me at arm's length. And something broke, and I, and I give all credit to my wife because she connected to Anne, and all of a sudden something began to bro break, and, and all of a sudden questions started coming my way. I heard you guys went away on vacation. I'm like, yeah, you're, okay. And we started talking, and she started asking me about my life, about vacation, and all of a sudden something began to break in our conversations. And then she moved away because she graduated K College and she moved away and I found out she is moving back because of her master's. And I walk into a coffee shop the other day and she's there and she stands up. She goes, Dave, I have missed you. And she stood up and she hugged me. 
It may not mean like a lot. And I know some of you are like, but did she pray pray the prayer of salvation, Pastor Dave? No, she didn't, Pharisees. (laughs) Did you give her a Bible? No. But when you have seen a heart softened, and it's taken two and a half years for a hug to take place in public, and that she introduced me to her favorite professor. It broke my heart in such a beautiful way. I, cu- I couldn't call my wife fast enough. I was texting my pastor friends. I said, you never believe two and a half years to see this type of breakthrough. And I'm here to tell you that you may not see the progress that you want to see, but celebrate every lick of progress that God gives you because he's not done yet. You may be praying for prodigal kids. You may be praying for prodigal co-workers. You may be praying for prodigal neighbors. You may be praying for prodigal spouses. Don't give up. Keep celebrating. Celebrate every good moment. Celebrate every hug. Celebrate every single win. I'm a Lions fan. I celebrate every win. (laughs) Celebrate it all. And then some. And don't let anybody tell you any different. But they're not where they should be yet. You have those people in your life? Kick them to the curb. You don't need that. We need people that are willing to celebrate. You say, well, Pastor, I don't know what to celebrate. Let me give you something to celebrate today. If you know Jesus, I want you to celebrate on the ashes of what you used to be. Think about who you were without Jesus and where you're at because of hope and begin to celebrate on the ashes of who you used to be. I'm just telling you, if I could dance, I would dance before you right now, but I would ruin everybody's dinner. (laughs) Some of y'all just need to kick up your heels. Am I Southern? Where am I? Some of you just need to celebrate on the ashes of who you used to be. Some of you, You've got to stop doing Christian karaoke on Sunday mornings and you only praise according to what you see on the screens. You need to praise according to what God has done inside here and dance and sing and shout when you know what God has saved you from. Man, celebrate God's faithfulness. Celebrate it in the beginning of your trial. Celebrate it in the middle of your trial. Celebrate it at the end, but nevertheless find something to celebrate. I'm here to give someone a word this morning. Don't ever celebrate, excuse me, don't ever sacrifice your joy on the altar of somebody else's successes. Do not compare, do not compete, celebrate. Well, I would celebrate, but somebody else got this. I don't give a crap. Celebrate anyways, celebrate. Well, I got this used car, my friend got a used car. You've got a car, guess what? You are in the top 6% of the wealthiest people in the world because you own a vehicle. Celebrate, stop comparing, stop Stop sacrificing your joy on the altar of somebody else's life. Celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. Don't sacrifice it. And what's so wild is this scripture ends on a cliffhanger. Luke chapter 15 at the very end, verses 31 and 32. And the dad, the father said to him, son, you're always with me and all I have is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He is lost and now he is found. And he ends, he ends the story. Do you guys have any questions now? I do. Did the elder brother go in? Did he respond? Did he reject his father? 
Did he at least go in and say hi? Drop off a card with a 20 in it and say congratulations. <laughs> Did he reject and go his own way? Did he from that point take all that he had, which was everything the father owned, and moved away? We don't know. Because the goal of the parable was not to finish the story in your ears, but let you finish the story with your lives. Because ladies and gentlemen, you and I are the elder brother in the room. And we've got the opportunity to either stand far off from the lost, stand far off from the culture, stand far off and, and feel good about ourselves, or we can enter into the joy of the Lord and what he wants to do in this world. This culture is going to hell in a handbasket. It's possibly, potentially, but you know what? We're part of this culture, and I don't want to be a casualty of the culture. I want to be a man who changes the culture. And I want to step into situations, and I want to show God's love. I want to show God's mercy. I want to run after the lost, and I want to celebrate God's goodness in the earshot of the people that live around me. The story ends not with Jesus wrapping up, but with you and I wrapping it up.